The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, where we work our fingers to the bone every single solitary week to bring you the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Well, it's the holidays and everybody's full of cheer. So, of course, we are going to spend today's show talking about everybody's favorite holiday topic, taxes. Yay! Woohoo! Yay! Taxes! Um, but we're going to talk about them in a good way. We're going to talk about how to pay less of them, not whatever bad news might be coming out of Washington about new ones or whatever. Um, I usually don't think to do this show until after the first of the year when I'm thinking about my taxes. So it, it seemed like, you know, since you, there's a lot of stuff that if you're going to do it, you got to do it by the end of the year. It seemed like a great idea to, I don't know, talk about it prior to the time that it's too late to do anything about it. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Scott Ellsworth. He is a CPA with Ellsworth and Associates. He is the newly elected president of the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. Congratulations or Thanks. sympathies or whatever uh, it is that that calls for. It's a, it's a two-year volunteer term, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, we're glad to have Scott on board with that. He's also the past president of Cincinnati RIA here in the greater Cincinnati area. And we're going to talk today about some tax things that you, you maybe have like heard the words, but you don't, you, you more than likely, if you're like me anyway, you don't understand them because you heard the words, you didn't understand how it might apply to you. And you stopped thinking about it because taxes are hard to think about it and hard to research and whatnot, unless you are a CPA. Uh, those things are going to include accelerated depreciation through componentization. They're going to include creative 1031 exchanges. They are going to include uh, making a conversion of your traditional IRA to a Roth IRA without maybe paying quite so much tax as you have heard that it might cost you. Um, also how to get those Roth IRAs if you, if your CPA has told you you exceed the income limit. But we're also going to take your questions, which you can call in at 877-772-9658, or you can email in at askvena at gmail.com. And Scott, it just occurred to me, I may have just overpromised because every time you're here, people just like fill up the phone lines and <laughs> the emails with questions, and we don't always get to the things that we meant to talk about. <laughs> that's all right. That's what the, that's what the listeners want to hear, right? That's, I, I guess so. I guess so. But... I want to make sure that we talk about this thing that 
yes, I had heard about it 50 times before you and I had the conversation and you explained to me what it was. And I went, oh, gosh, I've got to do that. And that is componentized depreciation. Correct. Cost segregation. Yes. Let's <clears throat> let's talk about that because like, like I'm right. super excited about that now. Right. I'm so, super excited about the tax thing, Scott. There you <laughs> go. I mean, that's uh, you get a little. You're a little, maybe a little, little screw loose in your head, but uh, but that's what it is. So componentized appreciation, if you think about it, you don't really buy a house or a four family. So let's say I have a four family I'm buying. We're going to, with componentized appreciation, cost segregation, we're going to blow that four family up. And it's going to be, what you really buy is you don't buy a four family. You buy four sets of cabinets, four sets of removable flooring. You buy a parking lot, you buy a sidewalk, you buy landscaping, you buy a fence, you buy kitchen cabinets, you buy appliances. All these things are broken up into its pieces because all of them have a different depreciable life, meaning that the IRS lets us depreciate those over uh, the the items I mentioned over a faster time period than typically a four family, which would be 27 and a half years you have to write it off. Over 27 and a half years. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. I think everybody kind of knows that you can write off those other things over a shorter period of time, but they don't think about it until they've, until they, you know, already owned the four family and now they had to put in a new water heater. Right. And their CPA says, well, that's not really a repair. That's really a capital like, expenditure. So now you get to depreciate that water heater over, I don't know what the number is, 10 years, 15 years, something like that. And what this thing does is it allows you to take the stuff that's already there. Correct. It's not, it's not that you're putting this stuff in. It's already there and you are breaking it down into its pieces, some of which can be, uh, written off over as little as like seven years. I think carpet is a five, five year and 15 year, the big, the, the, the fastest five year, the fastest. That would be all your removable flooring. In other words, if it, if you can take it out of the house without damaging the house or the actual item, then that's removable. Uh, so, so, so carpet, yes. Ceramic tile, no. Correct. Okay. Okay. And so there's a, there's a lot of, I mean, you mentioned some of the pieces. I think the, the, the list is actually really long. It is very like long. Windows, concrete surfaces, decks, you know, anything right. that you will probably have to replace before you have to replace the entire building. Right falls into that category. So here's the big question. What does that do for me? So it does two things. Um, it allows you to write them off faster. And then in some cases, currently with the way tax law is, you can write 80% of those er, of those short life properties. You can write those off 80% of it the first year. Now you'll work with your CPA to determine if that makes sense or not. That's a really a, it's everybody's individual circumstances. The other thing it does is, for instance, the furnace or let, 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 let's take the roof. The roof, you buy it. You're not going to replace the roof. We're going to be able to, to determine the cost of that roof, what the value is at that time you bought it. And you're going to, but remember, I'm re- writing that off over 27 and a half years. Well, let's say I replace the roof in eight years. Nine years. So at that point, I've only really depreciated about a third of its life. So when I tear it off, I'm throwing that asset away. 
Therefore, the IRS says I'm allowed to write off whatever I have not depreciated. So even though I've got to put the new roof and depreciate over 27 and a half years, the old roof, whatever that portion is of that purchase price, I get to write the rest of that off that I haven't depreciated, and I get a tax deduction for that at that time. And that's only true if we did the cost segregation up front, right? Yeah, there is some ways to do it after the fact, but it is it is by far less clean and uh, fraught with uh, uh, problems potentially with an audit. Okay, so let, let's 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 put some numbers to this so that listeners can kind of get how big this is. Let's say you paid four hundred thousand for your four family. Okay, you would probably good. You might you might find what a hundred and fifty two hundred thousand dollars worth of Stuff that's not building? So it's usually between 15 and 25%. Okay. That is not the building. And the more units, so it's always based on, you know, do your units have a lot of carpet, LVT, LVP? Does it have, you know, those are the types of things. Does it have a lot of concrete? So you buy, like if you buy a brownstone, which has no, there's no outside stuff, there's no uh, landscaping, there's no fences, there's no walkways, there's no, that becomes a little bit tougher to get a higher percentage, mm-hmm. but usually 15 to 25%. So you could probably plan on a hundred grand potentially. Okay. So I've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff that I can depreciate faster, but on different schedules, depending on correct what, what the thing is. But you just said I could maybe write 80% of that off in year one. So I could get an $80,000 tax deduction year one. Correct. And so could any <clears throat> partners that I brought in. I Correct. mean, splitting them up amongst Correct. ourselves. Exactly. Which means that those kinds of partners who are in it for the long-term passive investment are probably really going to dig that deduction if they can if they can take it. Right. That's the question. Can it, they take it? it? It makes, it makes the building more profitable. I mean, it not, it doesn't it does. just make it look more profitable. It right. actually is more mm-hmm. profitable when you're paying less tax. Right. And you're paying it up front. I mean, if I kept the building for 27 and a half years, the, the total depreciation is still the same. Mm-hmm. The benefit is I take it now, I get the tax deduction, I save the taxes and I can now take that savings and I can invest that money into something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's a little more complicated than we've talked about so far because I can't just walk through. Apparently, I asked. <laughs> I can't. I can't just walk through and go. That carpet's worth this much money, and that bush is worth this much money. There's another step, which we will talk about after the break. Uh, you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today about the best tax deductions that you probably don't know about with Mr. Scott Ellsworth. You can call in questions about tax-related stuff at 877-772-9658, or you can send them via email to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing, talking today about, can we call it holiday taxes? That makes it sound more cheerful. Okay, that would be cheerful. Okay, holiday, we can do that. Holiday taxes. <clears throat> Whatever you want to <laughs> call it. Actually, that sounds, you know, that sounds really nice, like you know, sparkly and has tinsel. <laughs> Um, with Scott Ellsworth, who is a CPA, works, is a real estate investor as well, and primarily, um, works with, uh, I don't know about primarily, works with small businesses and real estate investors. Um, and we're talking about some tax things that you maybe don't know about. Before the break, we were talking about, um, cost segregation. And here comes, here comes the part that, the, the part that, you know, is going to stop a lot of people because, uh, you know, the IRS is involved. So there were rules. Who gets to decide 
what the stuff in my house that I just bought is worth so that I can do the accelerated. So normally you have to have a professional do it, someone who has experience um, who's going to value those items. So typically it's an engineer. Um, we, we, we do, we've got other folks that do it, um, who are not engineers and, but they're still qualified. Um, but you need that engineer. You need to have a cost segregation study done. That's what the IRS wants to see. And if you don't have it, it's a little bit, uh, tenuous when it comes to the audit. Okay. So what do these, what I'm sure it's very different for like a three bedroom single family in California versus a 20 unit building in Cincinnati, but about what do these cost? So you can get uh, <clears throat> the the ones that are, let's say, for instance, less than $600,000 in depreciable value and less than and six units or less, you can get those done for about 1500 to $2,500, depending on who you talk to. Um, the larger ones, like we had a, a million dollar commercial building done uh, that we had bought back in 21 and that was about 8500 with the costs but if you think about what it did is that million dollar building we were able to get a first year write off of $200,000 um off of those uh off of those tax returns so it's well worth the cost um the lower the dollar amount of the property it becomes less beneficial but you can even do it with Hundred and forty thousand dollar, hundred twenty thousand dollar house. Um, it'll still get you a deduction, and you may only pay fifteen hundred bucks for the cost segregation. Mm-hmm. So finding that person who who can do it, and then paying the money is going to stop a lot of people from bothering to do this. But I, I did the math on a um, one of my expensive rentals. <laughs> that's it, well, I mean, it's expensive for Cincinnati. Californians don't laugh. It's worth like four fifty. <laughs> Oh, a starter home. Right. <laughs> With no bathroom. Um, and it, the, it, the math just made like a ton of sense. Sure. Now, the, the other thing that I had to ask, so listeners might have this question too, is on those $140,000, $170,000 Ohio houses, literally, if I had to redo everything in one of my $140,000 houses, it might cost me more than $140,000. Like the roof, the furnace, the like the, right. the, the pieces might add up to more than I paid for the property. Am I going to be able to accelerate 100% of my purchase price or 110% of my purchase price? Or do they kind of limit it to... It, it's all based on what you paid. It doesn't matter what it's worth. It, it doesn't matter that the replacement is going to be like the roof right now we may say is worth five, but to replace it, it's 10. But that is with the assumption of the total price you paid for the property. So that's why it's, that's why you really need to have a professional do it because more people would say, well, that roof's worth $10,000. Well, if I add up all those costs, like you said, all of a sudden I, my $140,000 house is 300000 of, of, uh, of items and that doesn't work. Yeah, the IRS is not going to let you depreciate more than your actual basis is, right. is the Correct. bottom, is the bottom yep. line there. Um, so depreciation is, is a fun tax break, you know, and people, people like, people like depreciation, but then when they sell the property, they're sometimes surprised to find out that it wasn't actually a gift from the IRS. It was actually more like a loan, a loan yeah, that's <laughs> from exactly the IRS. What it is. 
um, and that they have to quote recapture the depreciation at a at a you know tax rate that's not minor. If I accelerate all this depreciation, let's say I I do that in the next I do it I do it over the next fifteen years, and then in year sixteen I sell the house. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that just mean I have a bigger tax bill when I sell it because my basis is so much lower than it would have been had I just done regular depreciation? So it is a little bit, but depending on your tax bracket, it ends up being the same rate. Mm-hmm. So accelerated depreciation is recaptured at ordinary income tax rates, uh, whereas long straight straight line depreciation is, is, ta- is taxed at a maximum of 25. If I'm only a 24% tax bracket, it's the same. So it really doesn't, that shouldn't scare people. And the benefit, which hopefully we'll talk about uh, today, will be the fact that if you've got that depreciation, there is a way to defer it and eventually never pay it ever. Of course, you'll be dead, but anyway. <laughs> yes, the extra strategy there is die. Yes. Die. Die. Your heirs will be happy. So, yes, let's let's go ahead and, and talk about that now because, yeah, if I sell the property in 15 years, I don't actually have to take the money and pay the taxes. I can do a 1031 exchange. Correct. Which is something that most people do absolutely know about. Like anybody who's been investing in in particularly income properties for more than about five years, you've heard about 1031 exchanges, you've thought, yeah, that's something I should look into if I ever making a lot of money when I sell a property. What I find is that I don't necessarily have to make a lot of money. Sometimes it's the depreciation that makes me want to right. exchange, exactly. you know? Um and we did do a whole show about this. If you go to realliferealestate.com and just type in 1031, you'll actually probably see two or three shows about what a 1031 exchange is and how they work and all that sort of stuff. So we don't need to go back over that. What we need to talk about is the fact that what I'm hearing more and more lately is I would love to do an exchange because I'm selling a very highly appreciated property. I bought it in 2011 and it's tripled in value and right. now I've got a great buyer for it and I'm I'm going to walk away with $250,000 cash and also a $70,000 tax bill. Mm-hmm. The problem is the back end of that exchange. The problem is finding something that I like that I can buy very difficult within the IRS's 45 day, you know, <clears throat> identification period. Right. You recently uh, actually did an entire day uh, event about on online about uh, 1031 exchanges for Cincinnati RIA, and one of the things you brought up was there's other ways to think about a 1031 exchange other than oh now I need to go identify another right. property that is on the market for sale. Let's talk about that. Okay, so you got a couple things you could do. Uh, one is uh, if you. So with this market, how hot it is, my property, if I'm going to sell, it's probably going to go pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So what I might want to do is go find my property that I'm going to exchange, go ahead and get a contract on it, then put my property on the market. Now, it would be good if you worked with the seller to make sure that uh, they're okay and they understand most of them would be fine. The a other- property or an option. Uh, yeah. Yep. Options work well. For- so, so. Um, if you have a if you have a trunk full of options like some people we know, who we will not name, <laughs> okay, and they they sell a property, they can just pull one of those they pull those options out and say which one of these can I exercise now, and right. exchange into one of those properties. So that's so 
pre-planning all of this is 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 one idea. But the other thing you can do is let's say that I'm I've sold and I'm I'm not going to plan on buying anything, really invest in what I want to buy yet. So I could go to Vina and I could say, "Hey Vina, do you have a property that you'd be willing to sell me either the whole thing or a portion of it, depending on how much money I've got to reinvest and and what what it's worth?" And uh, I may give you an option to buy it back so you don't lose it forever. Um, but I'm buying it for an investment purposes. So I'm going to get a return. That's what I've got to do. I've got to buy it for investment purposes. Can't be so I can go hunting on the land and and uh, or live in it. But at that point, I can then quickly reinvest in a property. We just have to make sure the property is titled correctly when we did it. Um, and you could essentially do that rather quickly. I've had some people who – don't do it right off the bat, but as they get closer to that 45-day mark, they try to get on to uh, groups where they can network and say, hey, I've got this money I need to deploy. And there, you would be surprised there are plenty of people that will have something that you could do with it. Yes, and uh, again, you're not asking – you're not necessarily asking your colleagues to give up a property they like. You're right. asking them to temporarily, right, <laughs> like a year, mm-hmm. let you have it. They can even lease it back from you right. and have the option to buy it back. And what that might do for them, I mean, there's, you know, there, how many times you talk to somebody who says, oh, my gosh, I need $100,000 because I found this rehab project I want to do and I don't want to borrow hard money. And, right. uh, okay, so what you could do is you could sell me your $100,000 house. That would give you the $100,000. You're going to pay me rent that equals... Six percent, eight percent of whatever money I put into it. I'll give you the right to buy it back. You can finish your project, sell it, buy back your old house. We're all happy. Yep. You did say something really important though, which is you, in order to pull that off, in order to even know it's possible to pull it off, you need to be around people. Correct. Who are like community with you mm-hmm. and, and who, who are like, yeah, I want to do Scott a favor. And I've got this property over here. I'll, I can sell it to him at my basis so I don't have a tax problem from selling right, it. That's exactly. a, that can be an issue too. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll get to, he'll get to park his money and I'll get to, you know, maybe if I've got a, maybe if I do have a 10% loan on it and you're like, I want eight in rent, then I just actually made more cash flow Correct. for that year and I can get it back and I can get some cash. But you've got to be around people who are creative, who are, who, who feel like they're part of a community. I mean, you're not going to go on Facebook and find this probably. You're, no, you're, and you need to make those contacts now. Yes, yes. And so not wait. So that, ladies and gentlemen, once again means your local RIA group. Um, if you don't have a good local RIA group that's a community, you can always join Cincinnati RIA. CincinnatiRIA.com. We do. We actually do exchange meetings every week that where people ask for stuff like that. And I personally have traded into one, two, three people's properties okay. that they actually wanted back at some point <laughs> right. um, because I was at the at the end of my 1031 exchange time and I was like, help. And people were like, how about this? How about this? How about this? Like multiple people offering stuff. And I'm, I'm trying to put one together where what I'm doing is I'm buying an investor's, uh, who's a member's former personal residence that she moved out of and turned into a rental, and she's coming to the end of her two years ah, for the 121. And I was like, key. dude, you need to sell it to me at this much higher price right. and then buy it back because that way you get that profit without right. 
paying any taxes on it, which is something we are also going to talk about after this next break. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We're talking about the best tax breaks that you don't know about. You can give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send your questions in to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, talking today to Scott Ellsworth about just tax, tax stuff, but but stuff that you might have heard of and aren't don't really understand how powerful they are. When people tell me, Scott, you know, I don't I don't want to do a 1031 exchange because I'm afraid I won't be able to find another property. I'm like, yeah, you'd rather pay a $70,000 tax bill? Uh, that's... I mean, if that's the only reason, then I think you need to find a solution. Some people will, they just want the cash they want out of real estate. Well, okay, yeah, but a lot of these people I'm, I'm talking to are like, no, cause I'm, I'm selling my singles to buy multis right. or I'm, um, I'm getting out of Georgia where I used to live right. and investing in Ohio where I live now. And so you're going to take that money, you're going to buy more real estate, right. but you're not going to do an exchange cause you're afraid that you won't be able to find something in. No, you just have to, you days. have to do the, you have to find the property. You've got to spend some time planning it. And, uh, your property is going to sell quickly in this market. So find what you want or find that other party that you can do a creative, uh, deal with, um, mm-hmm. to make it happen in the 45 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd be amazed at some of the crazy ideas that come up on these exchange meetings. Like there's, there's a gal who's selling a property that's like a million plus dollar property. She's got to, she's got to invest a million plus extra dollars and she was being offered everything from well i've got this project that i'm developing that involves a cave i kid you not (laughs) she was offered well how about how about this whole portfolio of single family homes and i will lease them back because she's looking for something more triple net right um she was offered part of a, a um you know assisted living Facility. Facility. So yeah. I think, I think she came in expecting, well, somebody, somebody will have an apartment building and she got all kinds of different offers. It was really interesting to listen to that. So let's talk about the 121 allowance because I keep finding myself explaining that to real estate investors because they're so used to the idea that if I sell a house that's highly appreciated, I have to pay taxes. And when they say, man, I'm going to, I'm going to sell my house and I, that I live in. <laughs> and I, I've lived there for 20 years and I paid yeah. $10,000 for it. Now it's worth half a million dollars. It's, that's going to kill me. I go, well, what about the 121 allowance? I'm like, what's that? Yeah. It's, so, I mean, the 121 allowance is really, it, it, it was designed so that as individuals with most individuals who are not real estate investors, small business folks, a lot of their, their net worth is tied up in that house is that, as it appreciates. And so uh, the government, as with most tax laws, the government uh, creates tax laws to incentivize people to do things. And so they want to make sure that that individual is not having to pay all the tax on their principal residence gain. So it's, it is a unbelievable uh, tax benefit. So we were in a house that we sold and our gain was about $160,000. We did just like you said, there was it was two years we had we were coming on the the point where I had needed to sell it in the next uh, four months, and then I could avoid all my gain on it 
and I evaluated the property and determined that was a better course of action. But I've got couples who, and you got to be willing to do this. Some some are not willing to do it, but they'll they'll buy a house, uh, usually a fixer upper type of deal, so they'll get the appreciation plus the fact that they've added value to this house, and they'll live in it for two years and a day, basically, and so then they'll sell it. And when they sell it, they can exclude as a couple a half a million dollars of gain, if if that's the amount they have. But they can exclude up to half a million dollars. So maybe California people, that's nothing. Um, but Cincinnati, that's a lot. <clears throat> and so they'll do that, and then they'll go to the next place. And then they'll do the same thing. They'll fix it up. They'll have it appreciate. They're going to live there for two years, and they'll sell it again. So you think about it as a couple, let's say just a realistic uh, Ohio, Cincinnati type of uh, house. Maybe they're going to – it's going to be 120000 bucks worth of profit. Well, think about it. If I've sold that, I've just made $60,000 per year for t- two years, and I paid no tax. Mm-hmm. I mean that is a – that's an unbelievable thing. Now, my wife would not be real thrilled with moving every two years, <laughs> so she's not going to do that. So for us, that strategy doesn't uh, necessarily work, but for a lot of people, it really does work. Um, when I was when I was you know young and doing rehabs on my own houses myself, that rule didn't exist in the form that it does now. It was you could only do that every. So often you could right. you could move every two years and do it, but if I had if it had been available, I absolutely would have moved every two years. I can imagine you would. If I if I could make you know fifty or a hundred thousand dollars tax free every couple of years, I I would have been like, okay, where are we going next? <laughs> when I was single, that was my plan, but after I got married, that changed a little bit at that point. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's take some. Calls or some, uh, I don't have any calls, although you could still do that at 877-772-9658. I say that too fast. People are like, how many sevens was that? 877-772-9658. Or you can send an email to askvina at gmail.com like Christopher did. Christopher says, hello, Scott. If I purchase a property for $10,000 subject to an outstanding mortgage of half a million, is my depreciation limited to the $10,000 plus closing costs? He bought a he brought a property for 510 and he only put 10 down and took over a $500,000 mortgage and he wants to know. Oh, so he's so it's like he didn't pay 10. He paid 510. Yes, he paid 510. So 510 for it, that would be your that's your depreciation amount. So we're going to Cost seg that house, that five hundred ten thousand dollar house. It doesn't matter that you have a loan on it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like it's just like any other rental you'd buy, right, Christopher? It just happens that instead of you going to the bank and you originating the loan, somebody else originated the loan and you took it over. Right. So your basis is going to be whatever your accountant lets you take of that five hundred ten thousand dollars because uh, they always want to take some off for the land, which isn't really depreciable. Okay, question from Christina in Miami, Florida. What do you recommend for individuals of RMD age that do not need the money and would prefer to keep their money in their tax-advantaged account? So I guess what she's talking about is she has reached that age with her traditional IRA Mm -hmm. where the IRS makes you start, makes you start. You don't have a choice 
makes you start releasing a piece of it every year and paying taxes on it because it was a traditional IRA. Yeah, so there's a couple things. If you are uh, charitable inclined, you can give away a hundred grand out of that RMD amount. So that can be uh, a way to do it, and it's better tax wise to do that. We should tell people that means required minimum distribution. Oh yes, required minimum distribution. <laughs> so the other option is is if you can get your assets valued at a lower amount, that will lower your your uh, value of your account, and that determines what your RMD is. Because basically, if you th- think about an RMD, it's sort of it doesn't exact. This is simplified, very simplified. But but a requirement distribution says the IRS says, hey, you're 73, and we project you're going to live another 15 years. So we want you to take it out one fifteenth each of those years. That's base. It's simplified. It's there's another there's there's other factors, but that's essentially what you're doing. And so. Once you once you get to that RMD stage, it becomes an issue. Now, the one thing you can do is convert those uh, traditional retirement accounts to Roth accounts. Wait, wait, wait. Let's back up a second. I do okay. want to go there. I All do right. want to go there right. for sure. But I think we need to, to 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 go back to that part about get your assets evaluated because you said right. you said. Um, all right, let's just say for the simplicity's sake that what you have in your IRA is 15 $100,000 houses. Yes. And the IRS is, doesn't doesn't say you have to sell the house and take out $100,000. They say you got to take out the house. You got to take out $100,000 worth of value, Correct. right? Mm-hmm. So your thought is maybe I mean who knows what that house is worth. I say it's worth $100,000. Right. My Appraiser thinks it's worth. You've seen the joke. My appraiser thinks it's worth eighty. My tax right. assessor thinks it's worth four hundred. Right? right. So who who's to really say what's that? What that's worth? How does it help me to maybe have those assets evaluated so that I can play with how much I'm actually taking out every year? So one thing is the IRS does require that all your assets are valued every year at around the first of the year. It just has to be consistent. So, um, you, you're going to have somebody value it and they're going to basically be able to tell you what it's worth. And then at that point, you can take that out. So there might be, you might find a friendly appraiser <laughs> who would value it at less, which means brings down your total amount, which then brings down your RMD. Um, so that's really the, it, it is, it is like, it's like, did, did, uh, I'm an expert witness and I said, uh, they use this knife and the other expert witnesses says they use another knife. Mm-hmm. Those are all opinions. They can all be challenged. But generally, unless you're really a wacko uh, <laughs> valuation, you, the, the IRS is not going to fight that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that uh, it just occurred to me that that actually is a real problem if what you have in your account is real estate or notes, something that's not money right. and you take out this hundred thousand dollar house and you have to pay taxes on a hundred thousand dollar house as if you had gotten a hundred thousand in cash but you didn't get a hundred thousand right. in cash <laughs> so right. you got to come up with the cash somewhere to you now do. pay the taxes you didn't pay when you right. put the stuff in so so it's much better if you can convert those to ross 
be what 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 I ideally think is that when I want to I don't want to have any traditional accounts by the time I hit seventy three, mm-hmm. because it's good for me. I don't have to do an RMD distribution, and if I die with them, better for my heirs because they don't pay any tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if I die with my traditional, they're going to pay tax. Mm-hmm. Now when we come back from the break. Christina, stay tuned because we're going to talk a little bit about how to maybe make that Roth conversion that you've been dreading because, as you said, the Roth conversion will incur a big tax bill. Uh, You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Having a wonderful time. that the most wonderful time of the year? Talking about tax things that y'all are probably not going to learn everything about on a one hour radio show, but might want to write down and go talk to your CPA about. And if they say, I don't have any idea what that is, maybe find a new CPA or, or you can't do that. Cause, cause Scott, this next thing we're getting into, which is the Roth conversion thing. Mm-hmm. I know so many people who have been told that they cannot have a Roth IRA because they make too much money. Just not true. Which is not true. But they, I mean, they have been told that by their CPAs, <laughs> you know, no, no questions asked. You just can't have one stop. So let's, let's talk about what, what that conversion means and then talk about how to maybe not feel like you're giving up half the value of your account when you when you make the conversion because you've got all these taxes to pay. Sure. So um the uh, the ben- the benefit of having that Roth is you're not paying tax. The problem is traditional um you've got you, you everybody I think knows the difference between traditional and Roth, but traditionally when you're going in those uh those dollars, you get a tax break. And that's great. Everybody likes that. But then when they have to go to take it out, all the earnings, everything they put into it, they have to do that. So consider it more of a loan from the IRS than exactly an actual deduction from the IRS. Because it's not, it's just tax deferral. And the problem is I'm, I'm doing that, uh, and I'm paying tax on not only my original investment that I got to the, the temporary loan from, from the IRS, but I've now got to pay tax on all those earnings. So I want to try to convert that to a Roth. But there are big dollars. I mean, if I'm in the uh, 22% tax bracket and I can I convert $100,000 of a Roth, I am going to pay $22,000 to the government. And I can't take it out of my out of my retirement account. I've got to actually write the check, which is very painful. Um, now they make it easier. You can just do it electronically, so you don't <laughs> you don't see it. But uh, it's still it's still a very painful um, thing to do. So we want to try to get those from a traditional to a Roth, and maybe not pay as much tax. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So to do, and, and this is important. Mm-hmm. This is important. You you already said if you are approaching seventy two and you don't want to take those required minimum distributions, right. but it's also important. If you're younger and you just, you have a, an IRA, a, a, a traditional IRA that maybe you've been building up, you know, you've been carefully putting away your right. $5,100 a year or whatever yep. it is they want. Yep. And you've, you've built it up and cause you didn't know any better. And now you're like, now I'm going to go invest it in real estate. Probably maybe ought to 
do a Roth conversion now while you are young because then all the right. growth is taxed. Yeah, it's painful this year to, you know, write right. that check, but you can more than make it up. Correct. Uh, uh, over your, you know, investing lifespan right. until you retire. So there is, there are actually a couple of ways to maybe make that a little bit less painful. Talk about what those are. So one, if you invest in the right kind of assets, we can uh, get those assets evaluated. Okay. Remember we talked about a house and does the realtor say it's this and you know, everybody's got a different value. So you get those, those assets valued at a discount. And so even though I paid a hundred thousand dollars for that asset, if, if the value by a, a professional person who would evaluate it says it's only worth 60, then I can convert that asset itself. Even, I mean, I paid a hundred thousand dollars for it, but now I'm only going to pay tax on 60 because that's the value of the asset at that time that I do that. Now values can be challenged by the IRS, so I'm not, I'm not suggesting you just you just don't go and don't go all nuts. <laughs> yeah, but you you have a reason. I mean, reasonable expectations are that assets uh, valuation principles, um, standard valuation principles that are around for a century plus, have have the idea of discounts. Usually, if I'm minority interests lack of control, things like that. Now, so what I am saying is that certain assets don't lend themselves as well, like stocks and bonds. They don't. They can sell them on the open market. They're, they're, you're not going to get any discount on that. But if I've invested in real estate, um, it can. So if I invest in a single-family house, I own, I have all the control um, and uh, uh, in it, and I can sell it when I want to, then there's not a lot of discounts, just the appraisal piece. But if you invested in a syndication where you have no control, where you know, maybe the, the building hasn't come to fruition yet, you've received no none of the money that you were going to, and, and a lot of those syndications say you can't sell your share. Without their permission. Right. So, so that, it's <clears throat> not that, it's not that that has a fake lower value. It truly has a lower value than what you paid for it. And, you know, a lot of notes are the same way. A lot of note valuations. Right. People look at their note and they go, well, if the guy owes me $100,000, it's worth $100,000. Wrong. Try to sell that note on the open right. market. And there are people who will evaluate those notes they will. and say, if you sold it on the open market, given that it's got 28 years to run, and the guy only had a 580 credit score, realistically, your $100,000 note's worth exactly. 52 or something like that. Exactly. And that's that's a perfect way to do it. But, you, but you've got to have – that's just the idea. You've got to have an asset that you can, you can discount. So it's that syndication. It's that – that note. You can even set up a partnership. You and I could go into business together, uh, buy buy, buy an apartment building, and we each own fifty percent. The only way a decision can be made is with a hundred percent deciding, and we set up a manager to manage it. So there are lots of ways we can structure even a partnership so that I don't have each of us don't have control. And we can't really sell it because the operating agreement says we can. So you don't just have to do in syndication. I know some people don't like syndications because they because of that exact thing, right? They lack of control. They have no control. Can't sell it, (laughs) and they're stuck with it. So there are, um, yeah, they. So we're gonna somebody's gonna value that asset, and then you're gonna convert it and save that uh, save that money. And it's nice because really, if you think about it, you got you got a deduction. For the entire hundred thousand dollars, so you got if you're in the 
thirty percent tax bracket, or that thirty, let's say the forty percent tax bracket. It's only thirty-seven is a max, but they have a bunch of garbage taxes. So let's call it forty percent. I put forty grand in my pocket. If my valuation on that asset is now only worth fifty thousand, I have to give the IRS twenty. But remember, I they gave me forty to begin with. So I give them twenty. I still end up with twenty thousand, and now all my assets, that asset is in a Roth, and uh, and then now my heirs are happy. I'm happy. No RMDs. We're good to go. Well, and and the other thing that I've seen people do is partial conversions when they've got is right. when they've just saved up eighty thousand dollars in their Roth instead of or in their traditional instead of saying I want to move that whole bunch of money over there because it's right. hard to discount cash although the Government does it all the time, but it's hard for you to say right. that eighty thousand dollars cash is only worth this much money. Um, they'll just take out twenty Correct. to make a down payment on a property that they want to buy in their raw. They move it over to their raw so that they can buy a property there. So we got two minutes left, and we got a question that I think you can okay. probably answer real quickly. This is from Ed. He says, "If a house is purchased, needing." Repairs, repairs are done. It's then owned for at least 12 months and then sold on a lease option. You following the scenario here? Yeah, I sold bought, on a lease option. I bought a, I bought a house and instead of renting it, I rented it with an option to buy. Um, for at least 12 months, is the profit both, so the profit meaning both the option fee I collected a year ago and also the profit from the actual sale at the end taxed as a capital gain or is it taxed as ordinary income? It's capital gain. Including property. the option fee. Including the option fee, right. Because actually the option fee, if it was purchased, if they give you the option fee with the expectation it was applied to the to the property and there was no expectation that it was just give me money, then, yeah, you're going to be able to deduct it. Okay. It'll be a capital gain. So, yes, it is capital gain, Ed, not ordinary income as you feared. Because <laughs> the last thing was, or is it ordinary income like a flip? Um, so yes, keep it for 12 months. It's all a long-term capital gain. So thank you for your question. Thanks for all the questions. And thanks to you, Scott. You're welcome. For being here today and delivering us this cheerful news about ways to save money on our taxes. We'll be back next week with question and answer week. So if you have questions that you already know you want to ask, you can send them anytime to askvina at gmail.com. Until then, happy investing.